listening to the You Flourish Church podcast, a gospel-centered, multi-ethnic church from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, dedicated to helping you flourish in your faith. For more information about our mission and how you can get involved, please visit www.youflourishchurch.org. Good morning. Welcome to You Flourish Church. Uh, my name is Kurt. Excited that you are here to join us uh, for worship on this morning. Uh, I was thinking back uh, this week as, uh, as, as a kid. I remember the first time that I was introduced to the game of football. And I remember, uh, you know, we were probably no more than eight or nine years old, and I come out to practice, and I remember the coach tells me, he's like, you're going to play linebacker. You're going to be outside linebacker, and your responsibility is you're going to take a couple of steps forward, and you're going to get to the quarterback. That's what I want you to do. And I'm like, okay, easy enough. And so I remember moving forward. Every time the ball snapped, I tried to get to the quarterback, and this kid just kept pushing me. And I was getting really annoyed because I'm like, why is this kid keep pushing me while I'm trying to do what the coach told me to do? And, and every time the ball snapped, there was this kid there that kept impeding my progress to the quarterback. And I just didn't understand why. The coach told me to get to the quarterback, and here's this kid keeps pushing on me. And I'm getting angry now, almost to the point where I'm ready to fight because this kid is disturbing what the coach has told me to do. And it was at that moment that I realized that his job was to block my progress from getting to the quarterback. And that's how I learned what blockers was. I had no idea. And, 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 and so, so really, so at, at that juncture, my game plan simply had to account for someone being assigned to me to block my progress. Similarly, we're going to find in Acts 26, we'll see Paul's game plan accounts for someone being assigned to block his progress. And, and, and be that as it may, there's, uh, we're going to see three things that Paul does in this passage. And, and the first thing we see that Paul, he optimistically explains his case. Uh, secondly, Paul, he expresses disbelief and their unbelief. And the third uh, thing we're going to see is that Paul, he testifies to his encounter with Jesus. And we'll begin by unpacking uh, that first point. Uh, Paul optimistically explains his case. If your Bibles are open, uh, we'll be picking up in Acts 26 today, beginning in the first verse. But before we go there, maybe we go to the Lord in prayer. God, you are good. Uh, we love you and we thank you for your mercy, for your grace, for your love, for your kindness. God, I pray above all that you would speak. And God, I pray that you will anoint our ears to hear everything that you speak. And God, I pray that you will anoint our hearts to apply everything that you speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, so we're picking up in, in, in uh, the 26th chapter, beginning in the first verse of Acts, and it reads, So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa. I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. 
They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. If you're following along, I want to bring to your attention in verse 2 and highlight, I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa. I am going to make my defense today, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Uh, May the Lord add a blessing to the hearers and doers of his word here. uh, We pick up where Paul, he now has an opportunity to explain his case to another man of influence. Up to this point, Paul has been making his case to, to, to men of influence. And it's interesting that, that Paul was so optimistic in speaking to Agrippa because he's standing before a man whose great-grandfather was the one that was responsible for trying to kill Jesus when he was born. Uh, his grandfather was the man that was responsible for beheading John the Baptist. His father was the man that was responsible for killing the apostle James. And in spite of this, in verse 2, Paul says, he considered himself fortunate to make his case before a man who comes from a family of killers. I, I, I want you to get this, and, 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 and so I want you to understand that Paul, he's been in prison since chapter 21. Here we are in chapter 26, and he's been in prison since, since chapter 21, and, and he says that he considers himself fortunate to have an opportunity to make his case before a man that comes from, again, a family of killers. Why would Paul be so excited to make his case before a man, again, who comes from a family of killers. We have to begin to start asking ourselves that, that question. Uh, what we can't see on the surface as we dive into this passage, Paul does seem to know something. Paul seems to have an understanding about something that, that we can't necessarily see on the surface. And, and this is an opportunity of a lifetime for Paul to preach the gospel to rulers. And so, again, on the surface, we're looking at, like, you know, here's an opportunity for Paul to free himself. But in actuality, Paul is considering, considering himself fortunate because he has an opportunity to preach the gospel to rulers. Who knew he would have to go to prison in order to have an audience of rulers? You know, sometimes we look at our situation and we always ask ourselves, God, why? Why are you allowing this to happen? Why is this to happening? But God knows better than you could ever imagine. This is why it's just important, like, God, I just want to submit myself to your will and your way, God, and wherever it leads me, God, I know your will is a perfect will. Oftentimes, we, we want answers. Oftentimes, we want to see where we're going, but how many of us would just willingly follow God blindly. And God, wherever you lead me, like I'm going to be okay with it. And Paul, he was okay with it because they told him in the moment that he came into Jerusalem, they said, man, you're going to be in chains. And Paul says, man, I don't care if I'm in chains. I don't care if I die. I only concern about fulfilling the will that God has on my life. 
And if the will that God has on our life, if it leads us in some places, in some dangerous places, if it leads us in some places that's uncomfortable, we've got to know without a shadow of a doubt that God's will is a perfect will. And so understand that his audience, it includes Festus, the governor. It includes Bernice. It includes Roman commanders and and all the prominent men of Caesarea. Paul, he has an audience of people in influence. In Acts 9 and 25, it's interesting because it was during his conversion that it was prophesied that Paul would speak Jesus before Gentiles, Israel, but get this, and kings. This was the prophecy. And you know how sometimes when we look at prophecy, we, we imagine how it's going to be manifested? And so imagine a prophecy coming to you and saying, man, you're going to be speaking to kings. And you're going to be like, ooh, yeah. Man, God said, I'm going to be speaking to kings. You understand me? I'm going to be speaking to kings. But, but no one ever would imagine that the way that you're going to speak to kings is by being in prison. Fighting for your life. Fighting for your freedom. This is the way that you're going to speak to kings. And, and, and so the prophecy is manifesting at this point, but it just don't necessarily look like probably how we might imagine. And, and apparently in verse 3, Paul, he is aware of the, of the king's familiarity with both the customs and controversies of the Jews. Uh, and in verse 3, it says, especially, he says, because you are familiar with the customs and, and controversies of the Jews. And it's like, like Paul had some sense of knowledge of what King Agrippa knew. And, and he understood that, that the Jews, they had some customs, but along with their customs, they also had some controversies. It kind of reminds me of the church today because the church has some customs, but uh, there's also some, some controversies. And the world seems to be watching because they understand the customs of the church, but they also understand the controversies of the church. And unfortunately, it got people dealing with the church, keeping the church at arm's length because they, they understand the controversies that, that, that comes along. And so, so Paul, again, he seems to be optimistic in presenting his case before Agrippa because he knows that Agrippa not only understands the customs, but he understands the hypocrisies, that he understands the hangups and, and the hypocrisies of Israel. In verse 4, Paul, he begins defending himself by pointing out that he was known by all the Jews as a Jew himself, going all the way, all the way back to the days of his youth. And so, so Paul, he's not shying away from, from who he is. He, he, he's speaking to the fact of, of who he was and, and, and what he got himself involved to. In fact, in verse 5, Paul, he proclaims that not only did he live as a faithful Jew, but he did so according to the strictest sect of their religion. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul was a Pharisee, which was one of the strictest sects of the religion. And Paul's like, this is how I live. These men that are making their case against me, I was actually one of them. I I, 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 I riled after people. I went after people. I did exactly what they did. This is who I was. Interestingly, Paul, he builds his case 
based on who he was. He never distanced himself from being a Jew. He never distanced himself. And, and, and I, I, I find this interesting because the very people that are accusing him of a crime, the very people that are accusing him of something that's worth death, Paul is saying, I'm one of them. I, I've done what they've done. I believed as they believed. And, 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 and so, so he's making this case. He, he doesn't distance himself from who he is. And it's, uh, it's interesting that when God calls us, that oftentimes he never calls us to be something different than what we were. Like no matter what you came out of, if you was a former gang member, that means that you have an opportunity to reach gang members like nobody else. If you came out of prostitution, you have an opportunity to reach prostitutes like nobody else. And, and, and so this is what Paul was, and this is what God does is he chooses individuals basically based off of who they are so they have an opportunity to do ministry in the same places where God pulled them out of. So, so Paul, as he's making his case, he's explaining this case, and he does not distance himself. The, the, the second thing that we find uh, that, that, that Paul does is, is Paul, he expresses disbelief in their unbelief. In the next point, what we'll find, that he, Paul, he expressed disbelief in their unbelief. Let, let's pick up in, in verse 6. Look at what it says in verse 6. And he says, and now I stand here on trial because of my hope and the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I'm accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you? that God raises the dead. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. If you're following along, I want to bring to your attention in verse 8, where it's in highlight, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Here in, in, in verse 6, Paul, he, he makes it clear again that he is a faithful Jew who simply placed hope in the promise God had made to their fathers. And, and because of it, he stated, I stand on trial. I, ironically, uh, you know, uh, Paul is able to connect the message that he preached with his Jewish belief. He said, they're, they're, they're actually accusing me of something foreign, but, but let me point back to you the very thing that we believe. This is the very thing that we've hoped for. This is the very thing that we worship for day and night. And I stand on trial for operating as a Jew. The problem was is they didn't believe that he attained exactly what it is that they hoped for. <laughs> and, and, and Agrippa, he was familiar again with the Jewish customs and controversies and Paul that he pounced on it. In fact, in verse 7, Paul said to Jews, he says, they worship night and day to attain this very hope. Yet he stood accused because he attained it. In other words, how could he be accused for attaining a promise that the Jewish faith had hoped for? This, this was the very thing that they had hoped for, that they had waited all these years for. And, 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 he, and he's saying, I, I, 
I've, I've attained it. And I find it fascinating how religious people love controlling the narrative of when and how truth comes. And Paul's saying, man, this, I'm pointing you back to our Jewish faith that has a hope and the Messiah to come. And, and Paul is saying, I, I, I've experienced the Messiah to come, but because you want to control the narrative of what people believe and what they can't believe, because it didn't happen for you, rather than you trying to pursue it, you want to kill me. And, and ladies and gentlemen, it's, it's just an unfortunate, unfortunate place where we stand today because man and his theology, it, it, it just does not get to control the narrative of God's word and how it's manifested. You know, some people want to be able to put it all in a book. Some people want to be able to put it all in their denomination. Somebody want to be able to put it in their university. But let me tell you that God, he's bigger than any university. That God is bigger than any denomination. That God is bigger than any race of people. That, that, that God is bigger than, than any group of people. We've got to understand and open ourselves up to the possibilities of God. Just because you didn't experience God in a particular way don't mean the next person didn't. It just amazes me how people can just begin to start controlling the narrative for who God is. Uh, consequently, Paul, he, he shifts the focus to a question for every ear that was in attendance at that moment, including the king and all of the rulers. And, and it is. And Paul says, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead. Paul is simply, he's puzzled by their unbelief. Because there are going to be some times and some things that transpire where it seems like it's impossible. But as long as there is a faith in Jesus Christ, you got to understand that all things are possible. He, he, he said it himself. And so, so Paul, he poses this question, this, this very God that you have faith in, this very God that you put all your hope and your promise in, this very God where you do all of these disciplines, everything that you believe in is based off of this very God. How is it that you limit him based off of what he can do? And Paul said, he said, why is it that any of you think it's strange? That God can raise the dead. And I want you to take it a little bit further because some of us might be in some dead situations. Some of us may feel like your marriage is dead. Some of you might feel like your employment is dead. Maybe you think your situation in your relationships is dead. Why is it that we could think it's impossible for God to raise the dead? Like, and I speak as, as one an experience. I don't talk about it that, that, that often, but there was a point in time where Dee Dee's and our marriage was dead as a doorknob. Y'all don't have to be that quiet. <laughs> Y'all say like, ooh, I wonder how, I wonder how Dee Dee looking right now. Uh, like, I, I, you know, I, 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 want, I just want to be real. I want to be real. And we was in the church with a, with a dead marriage. It was dead. Just going, we just just going, just going, and just going, and just going, and just going, and just going. Uh, you know, going according to customs of the church. But but one day I, I understood that there was some power in God's word. 
I, I, I often talk, you'll hear me talk about 1 Corinthians 13 chapter, and I talk about 1 Corinthians 13 chapter because it defined love for me. I never knew what love was. And I began to read 1 Corinthians 13 chapter, and it took our marriage from a place that was dead as a doorknob to a place where it has some life. And so, you might be in a situation right now, and it may look like it's dead. It may look like it's over. And I don't know who I'm talking to. But I'm going to tell you the same thing that Paul says. Why? Do you think it's impossible for God to raise the dead? That question is still resonates today because there's nothing too hard for God. Why limit our lives based on what we can do? This is a problem, ladies and gentlemen, because sometimes we plan our entire lives based off of what we can do. And again, what we find is, is, is for God, nothing shall be impossible. And I just began to change my mindset. I don't make plans based off of what Kirk can do. My board of directors think I'm crazy sometimes. Because I have all of these plans and I'm taking on all of these different things, but I'm not operating based off of what Kirk can do. I make plans based off of what God can do. We don't have to limit ourselves. And, and, and so what we find is, is Paul, he's posing this question because he understands that God is bigger than the situation. He understands that God is bigger than the circumstance. And in verse time, 9, Paul says, I was formally convinced that I had to do many things to oppose Jesus. In verse 10, he talks about that he imprisoned some and others that he said that he put to death and others that he said that were put to death. He says, I cast my vote against them. So what this tells us is that Paul himself was part of the Sanhedrin council, that he cast his vote against many that were put to death. And you got to ask yourself, why is God using this gangster? Why is God using this thug? Why is God using this man with a criminal mind? And, and, and Paul is like, man, man, I, I believe just like the people that are accusing me believed. But something happened. Something, something, something. And, and so, so he begins to talk about all of the things that he did. He's like, man, I didn't just chase him out of Jerusalem. He's like, when they went to another city, I went following behind them. I didn't want them to get away. I wanted to murder me some Christians. Ladies and gentlemen, Thank God for Jesus that we don't have to live like that today. Could you imagine being on a run because you believe in Jesus? Like some of y'all got to go to work tomorrow. But how are you going to get to work if you on a run because you love Jesus? But, but Paul was like, I, I was that dude. I, I, King Agrippa. I, I was that dude. I, I, this, this is what I done. And, and so this moves us to a, 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 Paul. He speaks to the ruthlessness in which he opposed Jesus, even to the point of making others denounce Jesus. In verse 11, he says that he tried to make Christians blaspheme while persecuting and chasing them into other cities. And, and the great crazy thing about this is the root of this ruthlessness Persecution was simply due to unbelief that God could raise the dead. 
And Paul, he goes on, he pounces on the possibility that, that Agrippa either believed God could raise the dead or he was on the fence. But, but, but Paul, he pounces on this whole idea that, that, that this is what it was. And, and, and the third and final point, what we find is that Paul, he testifies to his encounter with Jesus. Pick up in verse 12. Look at what it says in verse 12. It reads, in this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way, a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when he had fallen, and when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. If you're following along, I want to bring to your attention in verse 14 and highlight, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And in verse 15, and I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And, and, and again, may the Lord add a blessing to the hearers and doers of his word. Now here, Paul, he begins to testify to how it is that he attained the promise that the Jews had only hoped for. Ladies and gentlemen, he had an encounter. <laughs> he had an encounter. Here's a man that had considered himself to be a part of the church for quite some time. But it was only on the road to Damascus where he actually had an encounter with Jesus. And so, well, you know, we have to begin to ask ourselves, how long is it that we've been in our faith with Jesus since we had an encounter? And, and this is interesting because in verse 12 and 13, he was on a mission of hate and persecution under the authority of the chief priests. But while he was on a mission for that, he saw a light from heaven that was brighter than the sun. And let me just say, it's something to be said about seeing the light. I've shared my story. In my earlier years, I was a drug dealer, and I remember getting robbed, and I remember escaping. And as I was escaping, I remember opening up the door. And I saw the light. It was the sun that I thought I would never see again. And in that sun, it appeared to me as though I saw the sun. I'm telling you, there is something to be said about seeing the light. And you know, oftentimes I've heard people say some things and it doesn't necessarily jive with, with the Bible. But this is something that I've seen in the Word. Paul, he's seen the light and I've experienced the light. I remember my friend a good friend, God bless his soul, he passed away. But, but he died twice, the first time that he died. And he wasn't even a believer, and this is what really made me believe. He wasn't a believer, but when he died and he came back to life, he said, Kurt, he called me to the hospital. He's like, man, I died and I saw a light. 
He said, I climbed up, man, and the light was beautiful, man. He said, what does that mean? What does that mean? He's like, I, I, I want to go back to that place. It was at that moment, right at the foot of his hospital bed, that I led him to Christ. But he wasn't even a believer. And he testified to me about this light. And all I'm saying is what happens when we have an opportunity to come to the light? It's an encounter that begins to change your life. I don't believe like I used to believe. I don't think like I used to think. I don't behave like I used to behave because I experienced a light in my encounter with Jesus. And it just might look different for each and every individual, but I'm telling you, as long as we got the word of God, there was a point in time where 1 Corinthians and 13 was a light for my marriage. It was a light for my relationships. Something to be said about the light. And so, so consequently, in, in, in verse 14 and 15, the light Paul saw was followed by an audible voice saying, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And, and Paul, he speaks to this voice asking who it was, and the voice responds like, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. And it's interesting because, like, he wasn't persecuting Jesus. He didn't see Jesus to persecute. He was persecuting the believers. But here's a takeaway. When you're persecuting God's chosen, consider it that you're persecuting Jesus. In verse 16, the conversation, it shifts to Jesus declaring his promise, his purpose, rather, for a wolf. I want y'all to understand because oftentimes we don't look at Paul as the wolf. Paul was a wolf. And, and Paul was sent to Damascus for a purpose as a wolf, but God shifted his purpose. And in verse 16, what's interesting here is that God chooses to appoint a wolf. You know why God chooses to appoint a wolf? Because God has a desire to save other wolves. So y'all want God to destroy the wolf. <laughs> y'all don't want to pray for the wolf. You ain't going to fast for the wolf. Let the wolf go to hell. But God wants to save the wolf. So there's a wolf in your life. I want you to understand that, that, that Paul is a wolf and God is choosing a wolf to go out and get other wolves. In verse 17, God says, I'm going to deliver you from the people I'm sending you to. I want you to understand this now. Like I'm sending you to some people that's going to try to eat you. Like God, well, why are you sending me to them bad people? God wants to save him. God wants to save him. And God says, I'm going to deliver you from those bad people that I'm, I'm sending you to. In verse 18, Jesus, he tells us the plan, I think, for each and every one of us. Verse 18 is really interesting. He says, I'm, I'm sending you to open their eyes. I want y'all to get this. So that the wolf might find forgiveness. God says, I'm sending you to your enemy. The person is trying to destroy you. I'm sending you to them. 
Now, we, 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 we miss this so much in the church. We miss this so much in the church. And I want the people at You Flourish to get this. I want you to get, I want you to wrap yourself around this. And, and so God is telling Paul, I'm sending you to the person that's trying to destroy you so that they can get forgiveness of their sins. He said, I want, I want to open up their eyes. I want them to have forgiveness. And then he says, and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. He says, I, I want to give the wolf a place in my house. And I want you to understand there's been a point in time in our lives. We may not want to think about it. We might not want to believe it. But there's been a point in time in our lives where we all have been a wolf. And his love and his mercy and his kindness and his grace, it found us. Did not deserve it, did not deserve it. There's nothing that I did to deserve it, but just because he loved us, that he decided that he would come off of his throne, that he would come down and be a substitute for everything that I deserve. This is who Jesus is. Ladies and gentlemen, this is who Jesus is. And the only way that our brothers, our sisters, our enemies, those that are trying to come at us, those that don't mean us any good, the only way for them to find Jesus is through us. So will you allow the love of Jesus to flow through you? My challenge to you today is that after you leave this place, that you would let that love of Christ that you've received have an opportunity to flow on to somebody else. Let us pray. God, you are good. We love you and we thank you for your mercy, for your grace, your love, your kindness, none like you in all the earth, God. Father, I pray right now, God, that if there's anyone that's in here who do not know you, you said in your word in Romans 10 and 9, if you confess with your mouth, and you believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, that you shall be saved, God. I pray for that person that's here today that may not know that. God, that your salvation, that it's for them, God, and, and that you've given it to us that have received you, and we thank you for it, God. Now help us to live it out in our day-by-day -day walk. God, we give you honor. We give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.